It was 1989 when I was um, uh, been pastoring just, I'm not even sure I had been pastoring a year when I walked into the bookstore in Plattsburgh, New York. It's an Assembly of God church. I had a bookstore and I don't even remember how the conversation went, but next thing you know, I was standing next to this really big guy. And we found out somehow in our conversation that I was a Nazarene pastor in Keysville, New York, and he was a Nazarene pastor in Franklin, Quebec. And we were just close to one another. And uh, we introduced ourselves, and that was the day I met Jim Ennis. And since that time, our friendship has moved and morphed and grown and evolved, and he has become a brother beloved. He's a um, spiritual director. He's a counselor. He's a pastor. Those are titles he carries. But first and foremost, what Jim is, is he's a follower of Jesus. He adores and loves and has not recovered from what Jesus has done in his life. And so we asked Jim to come today. A year ago, his wife, Pastor Deb, and Jim were here. We did a weekend of soul care and I asked if he would just come and help us maybe as we find ourselves in this season. But let's just welcome Pastor Jim as he comes. Pastor Jim. Well, good morning. And thank you for... Oops. I can take this off now, right? Thank you for inviting me back today. And man, is it hard not to hug my brother Jeff this morning. But thank you. Uh, it's already been great being here, just hearing that great introduction about myself. I can't believe that. <laughs> you know, uh, the other day, I signed up for one of those daily emails. And before they would send it to me, I had to prove that I was not a robot. You've taken some of those, right? And usually it just says a box, says I'm not a robot, and you check it, and then it gives you this test. And, but this time, on this, on this particular one, it didn't just say I'm not a robot, but it said confirm humanity. Before we subscribe you, we need to confirm you are a human. And I thought, wow, that, they're taking that a little over the top, you know. Um, it, it, first of all, these things do frazzle me a bit whenever I do them. I know they shouldn't. They're nonsense. They mean nothing, except I am worried it's going to show me I'm a robot. <laughs> I really have this anxiety about it sometimes, but I have anxiety about tests in general, but particularly those that have to be on the computer. And so they've got to put these nine little boxes like the side of a Rubik's Cube in the first place. And I think, there it is. It's going to be hard. <laughs> and what do they do? They say, oh, you've got, you got to check off every box that has, sometimes it's a truck, sometimes it's a bridge. On this particular day, it was a motorcycle. And I admit I have some trust issues. And so I'm always thinking that they're going to hide one somewhere. <laughs> where I really can't see it very easily. And, and so I'm always looking, and those boxes at my age are kind of small, and they're not that crisp. And I'm thinking, this is a Where's, a Where's Waldo kind of an exercise, and it's going to 
it's going to catch me, and I'm going to prove that I'm not even human. It's not just that I'm a robot. I, I can't even confirm my humanity if this happens. But, but really, there's just the thing that struck me was just the whole absurdity of it all and how it had to say that, confirm humanity. And it made me think. And I know I'm taking this way too far. <laughs> and I know why they do these things. But it made me think. You know, if you really want me to confirm my humanity, ask me how I feel when I see children being ripped out of their mother's arms at the border. If you really want to know if I'm human, ask me how I feel when I see the many, many cruelties that this coronavirus pandemic has done to so many people in the whole world. It is, as Brother Jeff prayed, there's a lot of weariness there, and it's, and it's exhausting, and it's heartbreaking on so many levels. You know, ask me if I've helped a neighbor recently, or better yet, ask me if I've, if I've helped a stranger in some way. Ask me if I can get through an, an episode of This Is Us without crying, and that would confirm my humanity, but not this little test. Anyway, it got me thinking about Jesus. When Jesus lived on this earth, no one ever questioned whether or not he was truly human. Now, where Jesus got in trouble is when he said or did things that put him on par with God, which he was. And that's what got him in trouble. But they could say, you're not God. Who do you think you are? You know, you're just Joseph the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They never questioned how human Jesus was. But I did wonder, what would Jesus have done if he had to defend his humanity? If that's the thing that they were testing him on instead. What if he had some kind of test where they came right up and said, confirm your humanity? How would he have done that? Well, there's a couple of very short passages that I want to share with you this morning, and you, you, you've got to know that they're within a, a much larger context that I wish I could do so much more, but this really will serve the purpose for what I'm here for this morning. And the first one is found in Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 18. And here we see what Scripture tells us how Jesus was not ashamed to call people like you and me his brothers and sisters. He was not ashamed of us. He actually joined us as a human and became our elder brother. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things. In the NIV it says he too shared in their humanity. So that, and I always notice whenever it says so that, I really pay a lot more extra attention. I hope you'll begin to notice those two words. They really are a hinge in many, many scriptures and many of Paul's prayers. He would pray things and then say so that. And basically what it's saying is, we're, he's, you know, we, we ask the question, to what end, right? He came and he shared in our humanity, but to what end? 
And Paul tells us, or I'm sorry, whoever wrote Hebrews, through death, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, I've always liked the little quip by Woody Allen that said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I get that. Verse 16, for it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham, and that is us. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect. The NIV says, fully human in every way. The message says that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. So that, so to what end? So that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. And man, we are being tested, aren't we? We're all being tested, and it's a far more serious test than this little silly side of a Rubik's Cube proving I'm not a robot. And I won't spend time going into the stark realities of what this virus has done because I know that you know it. Just note, I'll just note the fact that we have gone over a quarter million American deaths is, is, is just stunning, isn't it? And we keep that in mind in all of the people and all of the families, all the people who've, who've gotten this and everybody who's been affected it by it. jobs, living, relationships, across the board it goes. I will say on a lighter note that someone sent me this text the other day that said the dumbest thing I ever purchased was a 2020 planner. And I'll say, yeah, that's about right. At the store, there was a big X by the register for me to stand on. I've seen too many Roadrunner episodes to fall for that one. The buttons on my jeans have started social distancing. I'm going to stay up, and this, I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay up on New Year's Eve this year, not to see the new year in, but to make sure this one goes out. <laughs> right? So I, I am sorry if I'm touching upon Advent uh, and anything, Brother Jeff, you're going to say in the next few weeks. But, um, you know, Jesus' humanity is so important to how he handled things in life, right? And therefore, how... We have a great example, and not only is he, is he our older brother, but he's also our high priest, the one who represents us to God. So in every way, he is our mediator. And one Christmas when we had sung, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, my favorite hymn at Christmas, someone asked me about the phrase, what do you think is meant by this line? Pleased as man with men to dwell. And I told her that it simply means Jesus 
is simply so comfortable and at home being among us. He's so perfectly at home being one of us. You see, she really was asking about the mystery of the incarnation, what Eugene Peterson describes as all of God in all of Jesus. And man, if that's not succinct, I don't know what is. Because there are volumes and volumes and volumes trying to explain this thing. All of God in all of Jesus. Yes, Jesus, who was fully God, became one of us, fully human. And I guess you could think of it like this. If I were to sum it up, into summarize it into one big idea. Though he was the Son of God, bearing the perfect likeness of his Father, he became the Son of Man to become a brother to the likes of us. Though he was the Son of God, bearing the perfect likeness of his Father, he became the Son of Man to become a brother to the likes of us. Now, St. Augustine had a real knack, a real gift, he was not as succinct as Eugene Peterson, but he had a real great way of talking about the incarnation. Jesus is the mystery of, of, of Jesus being all of God and all of man. So the one, he said, so the one who had such enormous power was hungry, was thirsty, went to sleep, was arrested, beaten, crucified, killed. Christ as God is the home country we are going to. Christ as man is the way we are going by. It's to him we are going. By him we are going. Why are we afraid of going wrong? He didn't leave the Father, and he came to us. Now that one line can sound a little confusing. But I think he really sums it up, what he's really saying in that one line. I even thought about leaving it out, but I didn't. He was being suckled at the breast, and he was holding the universe together. He was lying in a manger and feeding angels. God and man, the same one being who is man, the same being man who is God, but not God in the same way as man. God because he is the word, man because the word became flesh. And God just by remaining so and assuming the flesh of a man, by adding what he was not, that is human, not losing what he was, that is divine. And that is what he really meant, all of that, when he said he didn't leave the Father. He never stopped being God, and he came to us. He didn't leave the Father and just came to us. He was still God, and humanity, he never stopped being God. Humanity was something that was added to him. And that really is kind of mind-blowing, is it? He didn't lose what he was, divine. So if we're really going to talk about uh, how to cope in these disorienting times, we've got to look at just what it means to be human. And if we're going to think about 
Jesus as our example as a human, what exactly does it mean to be human? And, of course, you could do a whole lot with that, but Dallas Willard, he, he, he basically talks about uh, the human life as being six components, six basic aspects of a human life, and all of this comprises the soul. And so when someone says, how are you doing? Really, now, now really we're not asking, how is your mind and your emotions and your body and your social life, right? But in a sense, you are all those things. You are your soul, and your soul is the integration of all of that. Dallas said that when we take a closer look at the whole person, we find that there are six basic aspects in our lives as human beings, six things inseparable from every human life. These together and interplay make up human nature. I think it's really important to make sure we don't confuse human nature with the sinful nature. And so right in the center there is what is called spirit or, or heart or will. And this is the place where we make our choices. It's the place of our consents and non-consents. And that's the way the philosopher William James coined it. He said, will you or won't you have it so? Is the most probing question we are ever asked. We are asked at every hour of the day and about the largest as well as the smallest the most theoretical as well as the most practical things, we answer by consents or non-consents, not just by words. It's what we choose on any given hour, any given moment of a day. And what I want to say to you is that in that place, the command center of your whole life, I'm asking you that even in this painful, dark time to choose joy because joy is really not just an emotion. It's far more than an emotion because emotions are important, but emotions are not that easily controllable, right? They just come and they go. But joy is this steadfast sense of well-being. It's a sense of overall well-being. It is when we sing, it is well with my soul. And even in times like this, we can sing, it is well with my soul. So last March, when, when you know, things just started to really unravel in the world and in our country, it was, I found it extremely disorienting. I know many people did. To hear on the news, the NBA canceled their season. I couldn't even fathom that such a money-making endeavor would do that. Um, and, and Broadway closed. All these really, really big institutions and entities. And, and next thing you know, uh, schools are canceled and closed at the time for a temporary time, a few days. But we know that that just kept going out and out. And then it became obvious, and, and that very weekend, my wife and I were leading a retreat, and uh, a keeping Sabbath retreat, and it was like at the last hour, we had to cancel that because 
we just kept watching and seeing all the dominoes fall and think, we don't understand what's happening. We don't know if it's the right decision. We know now it was, but we canceled it. And then, of course, the churches had to close our doors and find another way to communicate the gospel and to connect with one another. And during that time, my wife and I had only been co-pastoring this church in Wells, Maine for only six months at the time. And we ended up closing the church in for in-person gatherings for the next seven months for various reasons. We went longer than a lot of churches that it was necessary for us. We haven't been open that long, actually. But it was still dark early in the morning for quite a while, and I was up. I'm always up pretty early. And I would feel that heaviness of spirit and that sense of disorientation and, 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 and an overall funk. And, uh, and, but across the street one morning, I noticed something that just lit me up. And the neighbors who had for Christmas just a few months before put out a lot of lawn decorations, but particularly this one thing, it was like maybe six or seven feet tall letters that were all lit up, J-O-Y. It just said joy. And they put it back out on their lawn. And I saw that first thing every morning, and it was it was lit all day, and I saw the last thing before I went to bed at night. And I got to tell you that that really, really helped me a great deal. It reminded me, Jim, choose joy. And I realized that that really can be a decision, a choice that I make at any given time, no matter what's happening. I ended up writing them a thank you note because they left it up for months, uh, right up until the summer. And I said, I'm new here, living across the street. My wife and I are the new co-pastors. We haven't ever gotten to meet yet, and we can't now. But I want to thank you because the sign that you put up on your lawn is a daily lifesaver for me. I'm grateful. Please, in the place of choice, choose joy. And then he talks about mind that is comprised of our thoughts and our feelings. By thoughts, he means images, concepts, judgments, inferences, and by feelings, simply our impressions, our emotions. Our thought and feelings go so much together, they are absolutely interrelated. You can't think something without having a feeling accompany it, really, one way or the other, whether you're aware of it or not, and if you're feeling something that you're aware of first, you can follow that to a thought probably somewhere, something in your mind lodged and made you feel either good or bad in some way. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you, God. And I ask you, to keep that in mind and to fix your thoughts on God. Like Psalm 16:8 said, I keep the Lord ever before me, therefore I will not be shaken. This is how you keep the Lord before you at all times. 
by fixing your thoughts on God, meditating on Scripture as much as possible. Rick Warren said, if you fix your thoughts on God, God will fix your thoughts. And I think he has a really good point there. Remember what it said in Hebrews, that it wasn't just death we were afraid of. It was the fear of death. And Jesus came, and because he died and rose again, made atonement for all of our sins, he conquered death, he conquered the devil, he gave us hope for eternal life, and he took away any reason for us to be enslaved to that kind of fear. And if we don't have to be afraid of death, and I'm talking about the unhealthy kind of fear, not the respectful kind of fear, like respecting an icy road on a winding road, ice on a winding road, and just really taking it easy. We don't, in that sense, have to live with this sense of fear and dread because we keep the Lord ever before us. And then there is the body. The body, he, we, a lot of us are very disconnected from our bodies and we live in our heads. Some of us are much more in tune with our bodies and our present. Dallas says we need to make our bodies allies so that we work together, our thoughts, our feelings, and our bodies, because this comprises our action and interaction with the physical world. Our thoughts and feelings are not only interrelated, but they are totally connected to our physical bodies. Rob Bell said, our emotions are our body's way of telling us the truth about what is going on at any given time. We need to listen to our bodies. We need to listen and pay attention and be aware of our feelings and emotions and our thoughts. And God will be found in all of that because at any given time we can say, Lord, is this you? Is this from your Holy Spirit or is this from the enemy spirit, Lord? Is this from thinking about negative things and living in dread? Or is this something you're trying to warn me about and help me to be careful about? We can, in any time, ask God, what is your invitation to me in this? And listen, we need to pray like we've never prayed before. But by that, I just simply mean being ever conscious of God. Do whatever it takes to bring God before your consciousness as much as possible, and you will stay in constant communion with him. This, this, this connects right back to all of our choices, our consents and discontent, our non-consents, and also how we relate to others. It's through our bodies in how we relate to others in the physical world or our social context. And certainly, that is what's really, really one of the things that is so blatantly suffering in our lives today. Uh, we all have stories and examples of this, but I'll tell you this one thing. I know this young woman who six months ago, just at the beginning, the early stage of the pandemic, she moved uh, to a whole new state and a whole new city. She was single. She never, she didn't know a soul there. She started a new job in a hospital. Thank God for all of our people who are caring for those of us who are in most need in every way. All of our caregivers, thank God for them. And she went into this. It's starting her career. 
here she is in a whole new city, not knowing a soul, and working with people every day, wearing clothes to the max, goggles, masks. She has never seen the face of one of her co-workers in the last six months she's been working there, and they have never seen her face. They could, when this is over, bump into each other in a store and not even recognize each other. That's just sad. Now, there's different levels of how much people need physical touch. Not everybody requires a whole lot. Some require a lot. But the average person, they say, requires at least 14 physical touches a day to just make us feel human. And then it is our soul. The soul is that which integrates all of us. And whether or not our soul, we could say, instead of how are you doing, how is your soul? And we would be answering all of these things. So remember, uh, Jesus, not only our older brother, but also our high priest in Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. And man, did Pastor Jeff lead us to the throne of grace with boldness this morning? I know I was led there, and it was beautiful and fabulous, and I already felt the grace and touch of God in my life. But to what end? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Man, go for it. Go for it. God is right there. Leap, lunge into his presence, and you will find him. Augustine again said, it was for your sake that Jesus was wearied by his journey, and by that he meant the journey of the incarnation. In Jesus, we encounter divine power together with weakness. You see, it's not just either or with Jesus, it's both and. He is strong and weak at one and the same time. Strong, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, present with God from the beginning. Would you know how strong the Son of God is? All things were made through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. The whole universe was made without effort. Could any greater power exist than the power of one who was able effortlessly to construct the entire universe? But then he asks, and would you know Christ in his weakness? The word was made flesh and lived among us. The power of Christ created you. The weakness of Christ recreated you. Christ's power caused what did not exist 
to come into being. Christ's weakness saved existing things from destruction. In his might he fashioned us. In his weakness he came in search of us. And I would pose to you this morning that we may be crying out for the strong and powerful and mighty God that we need. And don't stop that. But please don't hesitate to recognize the weakness of God in your midst because that is often how he is found. It is in the weakness, it is in the marginalized, it is in the oppressed, it is everywhere where there's someone in need of help and grace. And if you find yourself there, know that he will not overwhelm you with his power, but he will join you in his presence because he can sympathize, he can empathize with our weaknesses. And one of the greatest things we're all suffering from on some level, even before the pandemic, is loneliness. Not long ago, a study came out of Britain concluding that loneliness kills. As a result, the UK even appointed a minister of loneliness to combat the problem. That was about two to three years ago. Can you imagine what the implications are now? When we think of leprosy in the Gospels, it's not the same thing as those suffering with what we would call Hansen's disease today. This is serious, Hansen's disease, but it's curable. The, the lepers, they suffered in so many ways. They suffered physically and emotionally and spiritually due to the shame and stigma of a hideous disease that drove them from their families and communities. They were forced to live in leper colonies, endured the insufferable indignity of having to cry aloud, unclean, unclean, wherever they went so people would give them a wide berth so as to not be contaminated by them because to, to even touch them was to, be, was to become undefiled or rather defiled. They epitomized all who suffered from social isolation and loneliness. And even, I mean, has anything ever rung more true when we have to practice social distancing for our own safety of our lives and, and be so disconnected from one another physically? We have to do whatever it takes to stay connected. This man, this leper, came to Jesus and begged him on his knees to heal him. And here's the thing I just want to say about this. Jesus healed all kinds of people, right? But there's no group of people. He, he, we see more healings in the Gospels than those suffering from leprosy. And one has to wonder if it's not because it doesn't comprise all of the worst conditions of mankind, all in one. And it wasn't when Jesus healed, he not just gave someone their, their physical health back, their sight back, Whatever it was, he, he re-engaged them. He gave them their communities back. He gave them their families back. He gave them connections back. And this is what Jesus did. How many times did Jesus heal somebody by just saying a word? He didn't, remember he was asked to go to the, the royal centurion's uh, official's house to heal his servant, and, and he said, he's healed, just go. And he found him healed at that very same time that Jesus said, 
Jesus could have healed this man from quite a distance, socially distanced healing, but he didn't. You know what he did? He touched him. Now, why would he do that? I think it's because of the incredible compassion of Jesus. Jesus had to keep in mind in this particular instance to show us and to teach us. He thought about when was the last time this poor person has even been touched physically, ever been felt the touch of another person's hand in any way. And so he touches him and he heals him. But by touching him, he became ritually unclean. And it tells us in the Gospels that he went and he had to stay in lonely places because of this. Jesus will touch you wherever you are. He's filled with compassion. In a book called Tattoos on the Heart by Gregory Boyle, he said, God is compassionate, loving kindness. Certainly compassion was the wallpaper of Jesus' soul, the contour of his heart. It was who he was. Pretty powerful. The thing is, what are we going to do when we're feeling lonely? You see, loneliness is loneliness because it's not chosen. We don't give a consent to that necessarily. We just find ourselves alone. But we can transform loneliness. We can make a choice, just like choosing joy. And we can choose to transform our loneliness into solitude. Solitude is a choice. Solitude is, is realizing that you are not just disconnected, but you have now made yourself a bit available to be found by God. That's literally the definition of it. And it helps you to find God because he has a way of finding himself in the loneliest of places. Lauren Winner even prayed one time, said, Lord, could I invite you into the loneliness of my own heart to pray when I don't know how to pray? Isn't that beautiful? So, we need to close. And the way I'd like to close, as we think about the fact that there's no shortage of cruelties inflicted on so many lives because of this virus, and we need to desperately do something about times when we're disoriented. Disorientation in the dictionary says loss of one's sense of direction, position, or relationship with one's surroundings. A temporary or permanent state of confusion regarding place, time, or personal identity. And in times of that kind of state of mind and being, we have a chance to be reoriented in God and to arrange and continue to rearrange, because that's the name of the game, right? Adaptability, ways of how, of, of how to be with God and how to recognize God in our midst. So I just want to close by reading Psalm 23 to you, but in a different translation than you may have ever heard. It's the Moffat translation. It's a Scottish translation. And if you would please, even for those of you from home, if you would just make this, choose to make this a worshipful time, a worshipful moment. 
because I know you've heard this millions of times, but just let the words of this beautiful psalm come bathe over your soul. The eternal shepherds me. I lack for nothing. He makes me lie in meadows green. He leads me to refreshing streams. He revives life in me. He guides me by true paths, and he himself is true. My road may run through a glen of gloom, but I fear no harm, for thou art beside me. Thy club, thy staff, they give me courage. Thou art my host, spreading a feast for me, while my foes have to look on. Thou hast poured oil upon my head. My cup is brimming over. Yes, and all through my life, goodness and kindness wait on me. The Eternal's guest within his household forevermore. In benediction, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving this Thursday, no matter what it looks like for you. Our family canceled our plans. It's a hard decision. That's our choice. We don't put that on anybody, but I know Thanksgiving probably will not look the same for any of us this year. So whatever it is, Whatever the configuration, whether you're celebrating, eating turkey, your family on Zoom, stay connected. Reach out to somebody. Don't be alone. And may the God may God revive, restore, reorient his life in you and God give us grateful thankful hearts as we choose joy and choose solitude over loneliness and let ourselves be found by the one who always searches for the lonely in the name of Jesus. Amen.